in our quest to identify a broad, all-encompassing theme to the parasha, it is helpful to identify anomalies to the parasha, uniquenesses to the parasha. Every parasha in the Torah has such anomalies. However, in the case of Parsha Spalak, there are not simply anomalies. This is truly the Parsha like no other. If I would have to choose one Parsha which is totally uncharacteristic of the rest of Chumash, my vote would be Parsha Spalak, and let me explain why. When you study a story, Kodesh or Chol, one of the most basic questions is, who is the protagonist of the story? Who is the main creature of the story, and the character of the story that the story is being written from their perspective? And we know the same story can be written from two different parties' perspective. Normandy invasion is different from an American perspective than from a British perspective than from a Canadian perspective. And that's within the Allies. Forget the opposing side, the Axis. So who is the protagonist of Chumash? So generally speaking, I would say there is a cohesive, unified protagonist from the beginning to the end of Chumash. Adam, then his descendants, which evolves (coughs) into Noah, (coughs) Noah's descendants, which evolves into Avram, Sarah, Avosimos, Klal Yisrael. That is the protagonist of Torah. The story has been told from their perspective. Parshas Bullock, however, is fundamentally different. Parshas Bullock is not being told from Claudius Yisrael's perspective. They are not the protagonists of the story. In fact, I'm going to suggest that in real time as the story is going on, they're probably not even aware of it. As Bilam and Bullock stand up on the hilltops, antagonistically staring at the Jewish people, seeking to curse them. Do Claudius shall even know that it's going on? I have no indication to believe they do. They're going about their lives. The protagonist of the story is Bilam or Balak. We are the peripheral <coughs> character or the prop or the scenery. The way generally an honor mamre or a paro or love and a friend or foe generally is the, it is the Gentile who is the peripheral character. Here it's all inversed. Now that's big to me. That's major in terms of the orientation of a whole story. That here you have the author shifting focus in terms of how he's presenting the story. The author in this case is of course the Rabbanashal. That That's major. I am not the first one making this point, marking this fault-line distinction between Parsha Spalak and the rest of the Torah. I believe Chazal and the Gemara are noting this point if we only hear them and hear them well. Because let's tease out the meaning of an enigmatic Gemara. The Gemara Bohobasra is talking about the canonization of the Tanakh, who wrote it, how they wrote it. And it speaks of Moshe Rabbeinu's written contribution, Mipi Adibar, his written contribution. 
and it says, Moshe Kosov Sifro, the Sifro shall build. Moshe wrote his Sefer and Bilam's Sefer, meaning he wrote two books. He wrote the rest of Chamesh and our parasha, which the Gemara calls Moshe's book and Bilam's book. Moshe Kosov Sifro, the Sifro shall build. Now that statement has provoked much confusion amongst Mepharshim. What does that mean that there are two books Moshe wrote, Parshas Balak, and the rest of Chumash, whereas the Gemara is saying his book and Dylan's book? They're both part of Chumash. They're both part of Moshe's book. What does that mean? Rashi says something, but something still enigmatic. What does that mean? Many vert will have been said. I believe the troop shot in the Gemara, and we could tease this out from Rashi as well, and Paul Pastor is as follows. Our point, of course it's all part of Chumash. Parashat Spalak and the rest of Chumash alike. But the question is, whose story is it? The rest of Chumash is Moshe's story, as in Moshe and by extension the Jewish people whom he represents. It's our story. It's told from our perspective. Sifra is his safer. His and his people's safer. This is Bilam's safer. It's Bilam's story. Yes, Moshe's writing it. Yes, we learn it. But we're almost learning it as outsiders. Moshe wrote his book and Bilam's book. Clear in the Gemara. So crystal clear that this is what the Gemara is saying. But yet so angst-provoking that the divine author, the Rebbe was in fact doing this in our parashah. So departing from the general orientation of Chumash in terms of now saying a story from the Gentile perspective, rather than the Jewish perspective. You know, in education, one of the worst vices, I'm not going to say crimes, but vices, is to lose your students, your audience's attention. And never has that struggle been more acute today when attention spans have become so shrunk to such small spans. Based on what I've read, goldfish have nine-second attention spans, and most children in the school system today have eight-second attention spans. So goldfish are more apt, according to that study, take it or leave it, than students behind the desks. So you don't want to lose students' attention, certainly in this ADHD generation. Stuart Bonnachum's an educator, no? So as an educator, he wouldn't shift focus on me. And in this partial, suddenly change coordinates on me. Who's the protagonist? Whose story is he telling it from? He wouldn't do that to me without good reason. Right? And lose my focus like that. Confuse my focus like that. So perhaps I'm coming off as facetious, but I'm trying with Sabra Saozan to bring up the drama of this point. Parshas Bullock is begging for an explanation. What is this market change of focus? This no doubt will be reflecting Parshas Bullock's purpose Theme, the raisin detra of the parish. So, to begin. Bilam and Bullock's Sinas Yisrael anti Semitism is like nothing. <coughs> they are not seeking to wound us, kill us, they are seeking to curse us. This is very, very different than classical Sinas Yisrael. A curse is a spiritual hurt or harm. I would suggest a klala is really an attempt to undermine our spiritual status. 
I would in fact suggest they are not seeking directly to harm us. What they are seeking is to undermine our kedusha, our specialness, our chosenness. And this becomes further apparent from a well-known medrash cited by Rashi, which says, why did Bullock choose Bilam of all aggressors, of all antagonists to attack the Jewish people? So upon consultation with the Ziknei Midian, the elders of Midian, who knew the leader of the Jewish people, Moshe, from the time he spent there, he realized, hey, in kochel alabapeh, Moshe Rabbeinu's power is the power of the mouth. So we need to find an equal force in an individual whose kochel is powers in the mouth. That's Bill. Now what does this mean? Powers in the mouth, another individual whose powers in the mouth. It's an enigmatic chazal. What does it really mean? What it really means is like this. The mouth verbiage and articulation reflects intelligence and spirituality. Everything which Moshe Rabbeinu is, and by extension, everything which Kal Yisrael really is. We certainly have not won by virtue of might. Might certainly has not made right for Kal Yisrael. Our power lays in our ruchnius, our minds, our articulation, Speech reflects the mind. Speech is an expression of the neshama, as it says in Pashas Parashas, So, this is the ruchnis of Kol Yisrael. This is our realm. So, the suggestion we can marshal one of our own who hasn't is really. the fundamental challenge to the chosenness of the Jewish people. Yes, Jews are spiritual. Yes, Jews are intelligent. But that is not an innate trait. <clears throat> something essentially Yiddish and Jewish. It's something which we have available too. Just need to groom the right man for the job, the bill. This is a profound assault on everything which a Kal Yisrael is. On our whole claim to chosenness. And therefore, in a continuing pattern, we see on many levels that Bilam is seen as the I can do it too. Moshe and the Jewish people are not unique. Not only in the above-cited Chazal about the Koho Bepa, he too has power for it, but in another Chazal, there was no other Jewish prophet like Moshe. But non-Jewish prophet there was. That was Bilaam. Now whatever that Chazal means, that Bilaam had mosaic-like powers of prophecy, the meaning therein is now apparent. Bilaam in his very persona as a Moshe-like Navi was challenging the notion of Jewish uniqueness. That our Ruchnius, as embodied by Moshe, our representative, the encapsulating soul of the Jewish people, the Nefesh Kalmus, we have it to live. And this is born out of from continued, from continued citations. For example, 
we know the famous Chazal cited by Rashi, which says, why did Hashem reveal himself to this un- very unworthy person? Because the nations of the world might have an argument. If you would have only provided us with Nevi'im, we would have done Shuva too. So Hashem says, okay, have it your way. You see, you have Bilam. The prophecy did not bring you to good, to good places. Quite the contrary, the parasha ends with promiscuity. So the story behind the story of our parasha is really story behind the building is really the claim that if only we, we non-Jews were provided with the same spiritual resources <coughs> as the Jews, we would achieve the same thing. I would argue that too coalesces around this theme. Our parsha is about non-Jews who seek not to harm us, but who seek not to harm us physically, but who seek to question our uniqueness and thereby harm us, but they're targeting their target point. What is it that lies in the crosshairs? Jewish uniqueness versus we could do it too. This is further borne out by the Chazal cited by Rashi regarding the seven Mizbachos, the seven altars which Bill and builds each time he tries to curse Kali Israel. Why seven? So says Rashi, he made a mathematical calculation that the Avos over the course of, power, of Sefer Bracious built seven Mizbachos. Now, it almost sounds banal, petty, and childish. Yeah, I'm going to get these Jews, because I also erected seven altars. Like, if only it would be, be so easy. I can just imagine someone who's in the spiritual entrepreneurship business, better known as Skoula, saying, if it's that easy, that easy to pull off the Jewish thing, just build seven altars, and there you are. It, it rings hollow. What is the deeper meaning of Bill and building seven? But the deeper meaning is that, no. Bill was really asserting the argument, <coughs> I can achieve everything the Avos did. Everything Kali Yisrael has is really not unique to them. I could do the same things, and I really have the same qualities, be it the power of words, intellect and spirituality, be it the power of Navua, or be it the same avoda of sacrifices, of karmas. So seen this way from this panoramic perspective of what our parsha is about. We now understand why this is a parsha staged differently than the other parsha. This is a parsha all about the non-Jews threatening our claim of chosenness. Claiming we are just as virtuous or can be just as virtuous as the Jewish people. And the parsha bearing out, uh-uh, you don't hold a candle as evident at the end when their representative, Bilam, their supposed notion, their supposed Neshama Klalas all-encompassing soul, leads them to very sordid places. This is a parasha which must be staged, experienced in their world. One can further suggest, based on our sheer last week, when we traced in last week's parasha that the Jewish people are stepping out of their cocoon. The Jewish people have been cocooned for the last 40 years since Parshas B'Shalach in the Midbar and haven't really faced antagonism, haven't really had that much encountering with the outside world in general. But at this point, last week's Parsha marked there, they've left that Midbar, they've left that cocoon, they've started to skirmish with foreign nations, they are starting to encounter the outside world. So now the whole notion of how we are perceived by that world and how they measure up to us, how we measure up to them, has now become 
relevant. So Parshas Balak, this Parsha is perfectly staged at this point. So, in terms of its form, it is very different than the rest of Chumash. It is called a different sefer, Sefer Shel Bilam, rather than Sefer Shel Moshe. But now we understand that's only in its form. Its message is ultimately the same message of all of Torah. The message of all of Torah is who Klal Yisrael is, who Klal Yisrael are. Yisrael v'oraisachad, we are one with this Torah. This Torah is the depiction of who we are in the soul. So Parshas Bilam, which is a, a battle waged from without, is ultimately bearing a message to us. It is ultimately part of Torah, the story talking to us. We learn our pride. Our, we develop our sense of spiritual Yiddish self-esteem from the acknowledgments that they came to. Because you see, here you have Bilaam seeking to curse the Jewish people. But ultimately he blesses them. And he doesn't just bless them. He enunciates and articulates the most poetic, grandiose depictions of how great the Jewish people are. And he begins with the blessing they are holy, alone, no, can't be compared to anyone else. That bracha is the beginning and starts his rhythm. This is a unique people. And you could ask the question, why is it so important for Bilam to bless these people? You realize in a certain sense it's not really Bilam's bracha, it's Hashem's bracha. Because after all, Rashi told us in the beginning of the parsha that Hashem told Bilam, they don't really need your blessing. After all, you tell the wasp, we don't want your sting, we don't want your honey. We don't want your curse, we don't want your blessing either, Bill. The blessing's coming from Hashem. Hashem is macro-managing Bill. We said it's Hashem's blessing. So why use Bill as the mouthpiece? The answer is, now we understand. This is a partial about those who seek to undermine our status. When they mouth the words, and all the other blessings. That's a powerful admission, confession. That is a formative event. You see, the Chumash is formative. It's Torah's Chayim. So any story which plays out in the Chumash informs human consciousness forevermore. That from now on, it is deeply embedded in all, all human psyche, including our enemies. They know we really are special. Their representative said it and had to mouth the words despite himself. That now, even if they claim we're this, that, the other thing, and Jews are this, and Jews are that, deep down, they really know we are the Amanivar, we are the chosen people. Their representative mouthed it in the formative event in human history, the story of the Chavash. So ultimately, this becomes part and parcel of the Chumash speaking to us. 
we need to hear the message. We need to know it. So Sefer Shalbilon becomes our Torah. We need to hear the message now. I am going to suggest, from this perspective, that as much as Parshas Bolak Sefer Shalbilon is an outlier vis-a-vis the rest of Chumash, in a sense it's actually... The pinnacle of Chumash. It's what Chumash is all about. What who Klal Yisrael is. Therefore, it will not be surprising now to trace a pattern that in so many ways Parshas Bolak is echoing back to Sefer Brachis, to the very inception of who a Jewish people is. Because you see, when something is questioned, you have to research it back from its very root and its very source. If Jewish chosenness is being questioned here, then really you need to turn back to the very basis of that presumption, of that truth of Jewish specialness, which is, of course, safer bracious, the story of the others and the most. It's safer bracious, which needs to be affirmed here in Parashas Balak. And it is in so many ways. Let's trace the pattern. For starters, this is a parasha about bracha. Jewish people being blessed. Now, perhaps we take for granted bracha. We do a lot of blessing. But when you think about it, bracha is really an institution of safe gracious, And I'm going to argue the institution of safe gracious. Sefer Brachis is largely the odyssey, the journey of the bracha. I'm not going to explain what I mean. From the time of Avram's chosenness in the beginning of Parshas Lech Lecha, Hashem expresses that selection with the words, Vavarechecha, I will bless you. And then when Avram Avinu dies in Parshas Chayisara, Hashem comes and blesses Yitzchak, and Rashi explains that is to affirm that he is now the ear to the Avramic blessing. Bracha. And then, of course, in turn one, Yitzchak is on his deathbed. <coughs> that bracha needs to be passed on. And here we have the great epic fight between Yitzchak and Esav, who will receive that bracha. And we, and we begin to appreciate its power when you trace it this way. What are they doing fighting over a bracha here? Why is Rifki Menu playing such macro machinations over who will receive the, bra- the bracha? Is this wor- really worth going to the wrestling mat over? The answer is yes. Because this is not just any blessing. The bracha is our is the code of who is the chosen one, who is continuing the Avramic Soda. In, in, in it lies the question of the entire direction of the world and Hashem's game plan. Will it be a Yaakov or an Esau entrusted with that great mission and all the implications therein? And brachas continue from this perspective in Sefer Brachas. Of course, Sefer Brachas ends with brachas. In Parshas Vayechi, when the next Av is on his deathbed, and that is Yaakov Avinu, he engages in bracha, which now we will understand to be far more than simply a moving last will and testament from a dying man. So much more than that. Knowing in his rear view mirror everything which bracha has meant till this point, and the way it's passed from father to son, 
that it is really all the continuum of the Vavarechah from Avram Abracha, which is in trust, which is empowering the recipient to continue Am Hanivchar, chosenness. When Yaakov Avinu gives a bracha to all the Shvatim, he is really saying, no Jewish child left behind. You are all part of this. Unlike till now, where there was some selection, you have Yudbei Shvatim, you have 12 Shvatim who are all part of this chosenness. Gives each one a different bracha because he's really saying that every segment of Klal Yisrael expresses their Yiddish quite differently from a Yehuda to a Yisachar. But you are really all part of this Birchah Sefer. So you understand that Sefer Bracious is all about this odyssey of this bracha. The bracha is the chosenness of the Jewish people. So on Bilam, as Hashem's mouthpiece gives the Jewish people a bracha, appreciating that bracha is so evocative in Sefer Bracious, I think that becomes clear. This is Sefer Bracious being reaffirmed. It is the signing of the John Hancock onto the brachas of the Sefer Bracious. These are the people of the bracha. And now we appreciate the power of a deceptively simple statement of Rashi. When Rashi writes in the beginning of Parshas or Parsha Balak, when Hashem told Bilam, you, you, you are unable to curse these people, Kibaruchu, they're blessed, says Rashi, he told him, Eincha Yachalavatel Birchas Ha'avos. Bilam, you can't undo the blessings of the others. Did you ever stop and think, why does Rashi harp on the others? I guess it makes sense. But why does he really harp on the others? Well, now it's so clear what Rashi meant. Rashi got all of this. Rashi got our whole panoramic view of safer gracious. Barachos are the legacy of the others, the expression of their spiritual legacy of building the of the chosen people. And that is what lies in the crosshairs of our parasha, as Bilam seeks to curse us and undermine the blessing, and Hashem's going to say, no, no, you will acknowledge the brachas, and with that, the totality of Sefer Bracious, the historical claim of the soul of the Jewish people, to be the chosen people. And now, beginning to appreciate that our parasha is actually an affirmation of Klal Yisrael's history and claim of chosenness and safe and gracious and the brachas of safe and gracious, we begin to appreciate how the brachas of safe and gracious, the brachas of the avos creep up all over the place in this parasha. I would dare say that if you study Dilma's brachas carefully, he is not going to win the originality or creativity award. His brachas are to a large degree lifted from the brachos of Sefer Bracious in a powerful kind of past. The most obvious example is when he says the words, Those who bless you will be blessed, those who curse you will be cursed. That is like Sefer Bracious 101. That is what Hashem told Avram at the very inception of Lachlacha and reiterated in Sefer Bracious. Those who bless you will be blessed, those who curse you will be cursed. That state which even the preachers like to repeat. Those preachers who want to justify to their congregation why they are pro-Jewish and pro-Israel. Those who bless you will be blessed. So it's simply a question of self-preservation to be on the you know to be on the right side. 
that why there are three series? One, the first one's connected up well, second one is connected against love, the third one is connected down. Excellent. I think there's what to develop there. What to think about and develop there. Not only do you have those who bless you and bless those who curse you will be cursed, but I'm going to argue that you could trace Bir Hasyakov in that at least some of them suck For example, okay, this has got to be a little of a game of trivia. I'm going to read you some words of Bilam, and you tell me what the sackos are. But you tell me what the sackos are. Where he says, "Kara shachav kairi v'cholavini kiman," you are lying down like a lion and crouching confidently like a lion. Is this not literal cut and paste in the bracha of Yehuda, which speaks both of the lion and the lioness, and both of those both of them crouching? Kara rabatari cholavini. And listen to this one. Scroll back with me. To Bamidbar Chafimal Chafdal. Wasn't careful. When he speaks of the Jewish people's victories, Lo Yishko Yochal They will not go to sleep until they have eaten their prey, Gedam and until they have consumed their enemies' blood. I'll read again. They will not go to sleep until they have the booty of their enemies. I believe this is the bracha of the Nyam. Listen carefully. Of all the same expressions. I would suggest he is particularly featuring this bracha of Binyamin along with the previous citation of bracha of Yehuda because Yehuda and Binyamin represent the royalty of the Jewish people at two phases, both in times of Geula and in times of Gaulus. Yehuda is the Melch at the time of Geula. Binyamin as embodied by Mardachai and Esther is the expression of Malchus Yisrael during low points. He, said, he is acknowledging the entirety of the Jewish people through the respective Shvatim of Malchus. And in the same vein, appreciating Parshas Balak as the great vindication of Sefer Bracious and the fundamental claims of the Jewish people for time immemorial, we see more echoes. I would argue its significance that in Bilam's final bracha, this might be a fourth bracha, depending on how we divide it. That's the that's the sticky point. That's why I wasn't sure. But in his fourth, you know what he says? But that's not very Fair enough. It's really directed towards Bullock. What does he tell Bullock? He says, as follows. He says, Let me speak about Achras Hayyam at the end of days. Where is the one other place where that term Achras Hayyam, end of days, appears in all of Chavish? 
right? We live in, a, in, a, in an apocalyptic craze culture, so we hear Achris Hayyam all the time. But in Chumash, it only appears one other place, the term Achris Hayyam, which Philem uses it at his final blessing. Where? Yeah. Nate, what did that, did that go any of anything? Ah! Oh, as Nate is saying, Yaakov's bracha. Right, the final bracha of Sefer Bracious. He says, he tells his children, let me tell you what will happen. It is so clear the reverberation. His final blessing is echoing of Yaakov's bracha, clearly. Including them both ending with the end of days. And there are other examples beyond bracha of Bilam. Almost looking back to say Fabracious. You have the reference to the seven is because we discussed before as, he's, as he is trying to marshal the Koch of the Avos and claim I could do it too. And in particular, Avram, <coughs> really all the Avos. You have so many Pesukim in the parasha, like Kime Rosh Tsuramaranu. I see the Jewish people's starting point is rock solid, says Rashi, that's a reference to the Avos. And again, Rashi says every blessing shows inversely how he really wanted to curse us. He wanted to curse and undermine the legacy from the Avos. You also have a Pasuk where he says, Tmos nafshimos yisharm. I want to die like the upright. That is interpreted by Chazal as a reference to the Avos and the sacred Hestalkos, the way the Avos and the Amos die, and really the holiness in which even, through which even a Jew dies. But notice his continued fixation on the Avos and what that says about what he's trying to undermine and what he in turn is forced to acknowledge. In fact, this final reference to most Nafshi most Yashar is not just a reference to the Avos, but it is the colossal manifestation of our entire argument that Bilam is really affirming Sefer Bracious. <laughs> because what is Sefer Bracious called? Sefer Hayashar, the book of the upright, based on this Pasuk. The, it's the book of the Avos, because the Avos were called Yasharm, Shnemer, Tmos, Mavsi, Yasharm. So Bilam, in a sense, is giving Sefer Bracious its name. Why so? Right? Now, if you ever wrote a book and you consult with different parties, who to name your Sefer? Sefer Bracious' name, Sefer Hayashar, was named by no less than Bilam in a Why well, won't Alex sell parent? That is the entire drama of the story. Right? He is threatening Jewish chosenness from its very inception, the Yavos and Sefer Bracious. So he's being forced not only to acknowledge Sefer Bracious, but even to title it and trumpet Sefer Bracious and Jewish uniqueness from the, from the Yavos and the Yavos in all of its glory. And this fixation on the Yavos is most manifest in his almost crazed obsession with Avram Avinu. Again and again and again. Avram Avinu, of course, the first of the Avos. You have the Mishnah and Avos, which contrasts Bilam with particularly Avram Avinu. It speaks about the various Midos of Talmidei Bilam versus Talmidei Avram Avinu. Likewise, you have... The story of the Akedah, which in so many ways Bilam imitates, picks up on in so many ways. And just read the Pesukim. Vayashkim Avram Baboker, at the time of the Akedah, he gets up early. Vayashkim Bilam Baboker. Vayachvoshes Hamoro, he saddles his donkey. Vayachvoshes Asano. Of course, Rashi picks up on this. It's an unmistakable 
intertextual correlation. And Rashi, therefore, Chazal envisioned the Rebbe Hashem telling Bilam, Kfar Kidam Avram, Avram already tried this already. Peril is unmistakable. Chazal used, this, in fact, the same terminology to describe both Bilam and Avram in the two respective stories. Avram from a place of love, Bilam from a place of hate, are both almost acting irrationally in the Akeda story of Avram and the cursing, seeking to curse the Jewish people story of Bilam. And even the truths of the two stories are the same. He is walking with two ser- servant lads. He is walking with two servant lads. And Rashi gives the same explanation of both. And Adam Chashev needs two servants. Hence, every Rebbe has two Gabon, not one. <coughs> and there are more references abound to the Akeda in the story of Bilam here. I'll, I'll, show, I'll show you one more seemingly deceptively simple Rashi, which now takes an added meaning. When Hashem sends a Malach to stop the woman in his tracks, this is the Malach with the drawn sword, which the donkey notices, but Bilam does not. So you would think, and perhaps this is the Pshuto Shomek or the simple read, Bilam ought to become humbled here. You were stopped in your track by a Malach and a Malach who you could not, who you were unable to discern the way your donkey did. But leave it to Bilam. Midrashically speaking, Rashi cites a Madrash that Bilam had a little mockery even in that moment of Hashem. You know what he said? Ha ha ha. Hashem, you originally said I could go curse them. And now you're sending a Malach to stop me? You tend to do that. You tend to make 180s with Malachim. You, you tend to use Malachim to do your dirty work, to take back your own work. Because that's what you did back at the time of the Akedah. You told Avramavidu, and then who was it who stopped him who said, it was a Malach. So when I read this Rashi since childhood, I thought, like, how childish. You're trying to diss the in this way, talking about the Akedah, taking it back to your mouth, but now we're beginning to appreciate Bilam is hyper obsessed with the Akedah. Because the Akedah, which is the affirmation of the virtue of Avram, that is everything he's coming to, under, to undermine. He's coming to undermine the totality of the safe gracious, the, the most fundamental roots of who the Jewish people are. Going back to, to Bracious and the others, and think about all the textual parallelisms we trace with Shotan. And there are many, many others. So altogether now, the parsha has coalesced cohesively around this theme. Parshas Balak is the most unique parsha in the Chumash. A parsha which reorients the entire narrative. Who's the protagonist here? No longer the Jewish people. It's the, non- the non-Jews. But it's an outlier parsha not to exclude itself from the rest of Torah. It is articulating the essence of Torah. Everything a Kal Yisrael is. And all the power of pride that we ought to have, that we must have, as this Amanevchar, as this special people, as this one who Hashem has selected to be his spouse, his closest one, the one he shares all of eternity with. 
as some far read. I become wise through my enemies. They articulate at times the greatest, deepest, most profound truths from the mouths of the Bilam. The most powerful of all truths is articulated in the parsha, And that is the sheer uniqueness of Klal Yisrael. No one else, no other nation holds a candle and we need to remember that when at times we tend to focus on the shortcomings of Klal Yisrael and the bad media rap and all of that stuff. All of those real faults notwithstanding, and the self-criticism notwithstanding, and the editorials and the pulpit speeches, you see the way Jews... Remember at the end of the day, at the end of the day, Hamam Yishkan, and no one else holds a candle, and I could say even glancing at people in, these, in this room, frankly... We all prove it, and we all prove it in our own special ways, grandly. May we be Zoha to own that truth for ourselves, the greatness and the godless of Kali Thank you very much.